that's our responsibility as humans. It's learning to love yourself the way the creator of the universe might love you. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business. It's about contribution. It's about meaning. That is what we seek. That is what we truly want. And you absolutely are here to serve the world. And I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Amazon Pharmacy makes it easy to order your prescriptions and have them delivered straight to your door. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at amazon.com slash dreamjobrx. Also, thanks to Wondery's Business Movers. In the newest edition of Business Movers podcast, they look at the rise of Uber to track the origin story of the now infamous rideshare app. You can listen to the new season on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Also, thanks to Tommy John. Loungewear isn't just for lounging, it's for everything. This means you need to have loungewear for every occasion. Hint, moms love it too. Get 20% off your first order right now at tommyjohn.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So today I am so, so, so darn excited because Maya Bialik is here. Maya Bialik is here and if I could only take you back to my childhood and throughout the rest of my life and up until today show you how much of a part Mayim has played in my life. It's just, it was just so surreal then to be interviewing her. Like I very much was a fan of hers. Beaches is my favorite movie as a kid. I wound up just loving her. And I actually sang that song she sings in beaches. I sang it at my sister's bat mitzvah. I was like 10 and a half or 11. And then, um, of course we were big fans of Blossom. And sometimes, um, in high school, actually people would tell me that I looked like her. I certainly wanted to dress like her. And then she's just one of those people. I've followed her career because she's so genuine and she's so, she's so brave. She gives herself permission to be who she is and she's never been in the box and she is brilliant. She has a degree in neuroscience and she's such a fan of like being a great mom and she breastfed her kids and homeschooled her kids while also working on set. And she went through a divorce and talks publicly about the challenges of that and then started this podcast called My Ambialics Breakdown where she makes room for people to feel whatever they're feeling and, and throw out, you know, a life raft to people who are struggling with different kinds of challenges. And all the while she's an incredible actress. And I have to say, like, she is definitely a, a very big celebrity, but of all the celebrities I've interviewed, she's the most non-celebrity celebrity I've ever met. Like she is so famous and talented and won all the awards, but she acts like 
she's your new best friend and she cares, you know, she cares about you regardless of the fact that you're famous. Like you can just tell she's so sincere. So you guys probably know her from Big Bang Theory and now she has a new show called Call Me Cat. Um, but when we were growing up, she was in Blossom and she was in shows like Webster and all those other things. And now she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's a podcaster. Um, she's an award-winning actress. And yeah, she actually has her PhD in neuroscience. Plus she had authored books like Growing Up, How to Be Strong, Smart and Spectacular, and Boying Up, How to Be Brave, Bold and Brilliant. Her podcast is a must listen. It's called My Bialik's Breakdown. It's a quirky, informative and interactive podcast that breaks down the myths and misunderstandings about mental health and emotional well-being. She's had amazing guests on like Glennon Doyle and Eliza Schlesinger. And she recently had her mom on, which was so fun. You have to go check it out. It's just such a joy. It's such a joy to get to know her. It was so much fun to spend time with her. She is truly an incredible soul. And she was even more amazing in person than I thought that she already was. So without further ado, please welcome the one and only Maya Bialik. I'm going to act like I can breathe right now, but I'm my heart's racing because I'm looking at you. Like my heart is, <laughs> I wish you could feel like I get starstruck. Like I can't breathe. Let me tell you why. <laughs> tell me why. Because, well, first of all, I'm 41, so I grew up with you. And second of all, because you're so kind. Oops. Anyone who knows you knows you. that it's your character that, Thank like, you. that's to be something that people would feel. So thank you. I'm by, by, by no means, um, perfect, still a work in progress. And I'm sure my boyfriend would have some choice words for you right now, but I do try and be, I do try and be kind. That's true. I adore you. And I'm so inspired by you. And I'm, as I'm talking, I'm actually able to breathe a little bit better now. So I think we can start. You've probably told all of these stories a zillion times, but People will probably like be so mad at me wow. if I don't ask you about all the things that we grew up with. Of can course. we start? Can we talk a little bit about Whatever it? Whatever you want. I am okay. here for you. <laughs> so at my bat mitzvah, I sang the glory of love Stop. because I wanted to be just like you. And that oh was the, the first CD I ever bought was the soundtrack to beaches. So what on earth was it like for you living, actually living that? Um, I don't want to say not as exciting as you'd imagine, but, you know, being in something, it's a very different experience, meaning whatever it is that you're in. I don't mean being in a movie is different. Right. And I also <laughs> am not going to tell you, like, it was very hard work, Kathy. Like, it's not all fun <laughs> and games. No, I was like a kid who had just started acting, which is late for the industry for a child actor to start in middle school because I wasn't molded by the industry. You know, like you meet kids who started acting at like two or three and they have a real professionalism about them. You know, they're very polished and they know how to tell you I'm feeling great even when they're not, you know, because they're yeah. raised in the industry. I wasn't that kid. I had just started acting when I auditioned for Beaches, I was the only non-redhead there. And I was like, I'm, why am I even here, mom? And she's like, you look like Bette Midler, I promise. Okay, whatever. <laughs> and like, I was a weird kid. Like the songs that I sang for Gary Marshall, who is our director, I sang like Golden Slumbers by the Beatles. And he literally like, could you sing something with a melody? That's what he said at like one of my first singing auditions. He wasn't a Beatles fan, apparently. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, for me, the experience is like I had just kind of started acting a year before that. I had just been in like Webster and like Facts of Life and like all these like sitcoms, but I'd never been on a real movie set. 
it was insane. You know, I was this kid who just talked like that. Like when I look at the movie, which I try not to watch myself, but when I've seen it, I'm like, I just had that accent. Like, that's just what I was like. That was just like, I just had this huge head and this tiny body. And, you know, I did what was asked of me. It wasn't like I'm in a movie. This is going to change my life. I didn't really grasp that it was like going to be in theaters. Like I knew that Bette Midler and Barbara Hershey were these like huge stars, but I didn't really put it together. It's just like, that's not how my brain works. I was a poor kid, like second generation American, you know, who was raised speaking Yiddish and like, we couldn't afford rent. Like that's what my life was like. So you don't dream that you'll have your own TV show. I was a weird looking kid who liked auditioning for things, you know, for school plays. And everybody thought I was weird. So I wasn't like a hammy Hollywood kid who was like, this is my moment. You know, I was very much like, tell me what to do. I'll do it. Gary Marshall's like this huge director. I mean, he directed Laverne and Shirley, like something I actually knew, you know, like I knew Barbara Hershey was famous, but like, I couldn't really tell you who Barbara Hershey was as a, you know, 12 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. So when it came out, that was like the moment. I mean, we all have these moments, but like, that was my moment of like, your life will never be the same. And it was very overwhelming. The movie came out the week of my bat mitzvah. Like it was, oh it was an enormous God. week. I was on the cover of the calendar section of the Los Angeles Times the morning of my bat mitzvah. Like that's a true story. It was very strange, very strange time. Um, I just had tears in my eyes for a second because truly the charisma that you have, have always had, the goodness is like um, in the whole world. Like we just all like got it. I mean, it was just one of those things like to see it. It was like your soul was just like, hello, like I'm here. And it's so so funny. I was just a weird kid. Like so refreshing. Thank you. So refreshing. But how crazy to think for you, like that was the weekend of your own bat mitzvah. Like you're going through adolescence and like there you are. And overnight, I'm sure you couldn't walk anywhere. You couldn't go into well, the grocery so store without people recognizing. That's you. actually not true because because I didn't have red hair. Oh, right. I wasn't really noticeable like that. If you kind of spent time with me, meaning like, you know, when I went, I went to like Jewish summer camp or um, it was actually like weekends during the year. We couldn't afford summer camp. But anyway, you know, those kids like word would get around like she was that girl in beaches. And so then it was. But otherwise, no, I was still going out and about. Usually my voice is kind of like what made people recognize me, which still happens now when people hear my voice, even on the phone. Sometimes people recognize me, which is (laughs) not weird at all. But no, at the time, what changed in my life was like there was a four-year consideration ad for an Academy Award taken out for me, like in the trades and like that, what? Which I don't think I deserved an Academy Award or a nomination, but that's besides the point. But that level of, you know, business life changing, you know, I was offered my own TV show. What? That's crazy. Like it was crazy then, meaning to me. So what on earth is that like to have this thing called your own TV show and you're trying to just be emotionally stable enough to be in high school at the same time. It was, yeah. I mean, I was in junior high, you know, Blossom started when I was 14. So I'm 45. Um, I was 14 to 19. At the time there were no TV shows about a girl on network television. No one thought it would work. It was literally one executive at NBC, a woman who was like, I think we can make this work. And Don Rio, who I call my third parent, he's the one who created Blossom And, you know, it was because of his care over me and his execution of wanting to, 
you know what he wanted. We wanted to do like Catcher in the Rye about a girl in the 90s. Right. That's when we started. Um, it was 89 was when we started working together. So it was really his care and him and his wife who were producers on our show. And, you know, it was really them that ushered me into this next part of my life. And I'm still close with them. I still consider Don, you know, my third parent because he created me. You know, it's like I think of the golem, but just that notion of like you can be crafted by other people, you know, to a large extent. And you fill in the details of who you are. But I was made into this other representation of me. And like in your head, you're always that poor kid growing up. Like that's how I operated, you know. And over the next five years of my life on Blossom, yeah, I went through all the things that teenagers go through. I was a very late bloomer, which I think was good. So I, I didn't really have like a desire to kind of like know myself or like party or do anything like that. I was just like a studious, you know, mopey, dark intellectual kind of teenager who played a very fun, you know, and in many cases, perky character on television who also had a lot of depth. You know, she was an interesting character to play and it was a really fun world to inhabit. I'm also grateful it was a very clean set. There were never drugs or alcohol on our set. There were a lot of Playboy bunnies for a lot of like Joey fantasy scenes. And, you know, looking back through the lens of Me Too and Time's Up, it's like, so not okay. Just what that culture was like, that like to get ratings, we put half naked women on television, yeah. you know, and just like, and that I, as a teenage girl, of course, I'm like, this is my life is like, I have like all these men lining up to take pictures with these women. Like it was so, that was weird, but also completely like in the scope of what happened in our industry in general, you know, um, that was sort of what I experienced on that set that was like, Ugh, that was hard. Um, but yeah, I graduated from high school at 17. I had tutors for every subject. My parents were teachers in real life. So they were very concerned that I have like all my academics in order. And my dad in particular, uh, bless his memory, my father um, was very like, this could all disappear tomorrow. Make sure we get your education really good. So <laughs> I was studious, you know, I would go to go to work and do my school on set. And then I would come home and do homework. Like, that's what I did. And I was two years out of high school and Blossom ended. And I was just like ready to not be recognized, which that didn't go away when I went to college. But I was ready to be judged by what was inside of my head instead of sort of what I could do for you. And I left the industry really for, for about 15 years. Wow. I just also, I think it's so striking that like you played this part in this movie and then you were offered your own show. Like it's insane. It felt it doesn't happen. And I, it it doesn't happen to people like me, you know, as far as I was concerned, like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to some like classically pretty, you know, but that's why it happens only to you because that's what I'm saying. Like there's nothing about you that's ever trying to be something other than well I try I just fail so you just no, get me it's, <laughs> it's like that's what it is like you give people this permission to like hi you could just be yourself right now right, right? and I think that's what the whole world just loves so much about you and again some people hate me don't oh forget. she has to bring this up she has to. It's also, it's funny that you mentioned that today of all days, because I had a migraine yesterday. It happens when your lady cycle happens for some mm-hmm. reason. But anyway, <laughs> no, I really was not feeling well last night. Like 
this eyeball wasn't working. And I woke up this morning and I have what's called a residual headache. And I was like, I cannot put makeup on this eyeball. It's just not going to happen. Like this whole side of the head is not working. Uh, I was like, I'll put on some lipstick and glasses and I'll put my fancy light on. And I'm very glad that you're saying these things about me because it's very appropriate that like, I was like, this is the best I can do today is to show up with glasses and lipstick. And like, I had my hair done, I think two days ago, it still looks okay. Um, But I appreciate that because like, I'm grateful that that is part of, I think even more and more what I'm becoming known for, because it's such a relief to me, especially as a woman to not have to be like, all right, here's another day where I have to try and look the way I'm supposed to look and like the things that I'm supposed to do so that I can still look at myself and be like, no, it still doesn't like feel like me. So I'm glad you said that today because like, this is just me, you know, post migraine. (laughs) Here we are. it, It just dawns on me that it's hard to believe that when someone just is the sunshine that they don't necessarily always know that they're giving all these people this ray of light, but you are so doing that. I mean, I can remember being in, t- in seventh grade and I'm 41. So you, you had already been in blossom and the kids were mean to me. And I watched you and felt like, well, she could be nice to me. You know what I mean? Like I had a nose job in my junior year of high school. Like I didn't fit in. Right. And I could never be cool. I remember being at Ashley's house in sixth grade and being like, I can't believe you invited me over. Like, (laughs) that's like the dumb thing to say to the cool girl with the blonde hair who Chad Murray likes, you know, like I'm in the wrong place, but everybody loves you because you make everyone feel like they're in the right place. And now, and I know we're jumping out of chronological order, but the show you're doing now, I've I never seen, I've <laughs> never seen this character in my life. Please tell me about this character and call me cat. And then we'll go back. That's a perfect segue though. Cause like what you were describing is like, there's so many women like that. I mean, there's men like that too, you know, but for sure we're not used to seeing women like that. And, you know, Jim Parsons approached me, Jim Parsons, who I was obviously on big bang theory with, he played Sheldon. And he said, we have the rights to Miranda, this BBC show. He's like, what do you think? So I checked it out and I was like, wow, that's a dynamic woman. You know, it's a very unusual British sense of humor. And she's this very, very tall Miranda Hart, very quirky actress. And so I I went back to Jim. I did my research and I was like, really interesting project. And I wish you well with it. That sounds great. And he's like, no, Maya, I'm asking because I want you to play her. (laughs) It's like, oh, I thought I just wanted my professional opinion. I was like, sounds like it's going to be great. Exactly. About you. He's like, if anyone can pull off annoying and adorable, I think it's you. So Darlene Hunt, who's our showrunner and executive producer for our first season, she is a very quirky woman herself. And she came up with this pitch for an American version of Miranda. And I just loved her sense of humor. I loved this world that she was creating of this woman who was like, I'm weird. I sing when I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm socially anxious. Like I'm going to get life wrong, but still have a really good time doing it. And I was like, that's me. Like I can do that. So then we added, I do a lot of physical comedy. And so like that kind of got added as just like, she's a person who's like always tripping, always doing things. And, you know, critics were not kind to us, which I totally get. And I actually made a YouTube video kind of answering some of the criticism because that's how I do. I saw it. Um, I watch everything you do. It was good. No, but, but also like some of the criticism, it was totally accurate. Like who's this woman? What, why does she not know how to hold her liquor? It's like, well, you've obviously never met me. (laughs) 
you know, I mean well when I have my second mojito, but then I do funny things. And so this character is just like, she's, she's very me. I purposely chose not to wear Spanx, which, you know, is, it's not an easy decision. I, I actually stopped wearing Spanx many years ago after meeting a designer who said, what if women wore clothing that flattered their bodies, no matter what their bodies looked like? Meaning what if you found the outfit that if you try and squeeze into something and you have a bulge, you know, you, I call them a side meat and my side meat's bulging out. <laughs> how about I find an outfit that isn't that tight so that my side meat is hanging out. Now, if you want if you want your side meat hanging out, more power to you. But for me, it wasn't always there. I wish it wasn't there. So I started literally wearing clothing that felt like me without having to wear a sausage casing. So as this character, I decided we're not going to wear sausage casing. And so that's really comfortable. She wears sneakers with dresses. Someone wrote an article like, I think she's a lesbian. She wears sneakers with dresses. And I was like, oh, oh my God. You don't have to be a lesbian to wear sneakers with dresses. But it was actually, it was a very cute article. But yeah, this is a woman who wears like bracelets and rings and earrings and a necklace. You know, she doesn't pick. And that's me also like all the accessories. Nothing's too small of an event for her to put on some bracelets. Like she's super, and, and there's a really playful, childlike wonder to her. And that's really, that's a lot of Darlene. It's a lot of me. I'm not ashamed of that. And I love that we're showing a character who decorates fruit with googly eyes just because it's cute. Like that's a, it's a thing. It's very special. So this character is very special to me and building a world around her is very special to me. We want her single and not super stressed out about it, which doesn't mean she can't date. It means that her purpose for dating is not like must find man, must settle down, must have babies. Right. She's part of the world as it's happening. And she also knows that like Randy's hot, you know, like she's <laughs> she kind of says everything that she thinks and she's sloppy and she can be vulgar. And, you know, when guys make weird jokes, she's like, that's pretty funny. You know, <laughs> like she's she's unconventional. It's so awesome. And even though she's not Blossom, there's still something so consistent about yet again, in this time in history, you're the person who's like, right. can we all just say what's really going on? Because I'll be it. I'll take the lead on it. And it's so important and refreshing because you do wind up like I have three kids now. So I'm a size eight and like, that's yeah. just how it is. And I've we're, like, we're plus myself. sized. We're plus sized in Hollywood. Oh my God. Yeah. You. It's horrible. So, do you have I'm side meat as well? Side, side meat. Side I haven't heard well. it, but I definitely have some. And it's like, you shame yourself. And then you're like, wait, I'm in my forties. Like, I'm not going to look like. I mean, I literally, I had a mentor of mine literally say the days of eating what you want and having your body look like you want, they're over. She said, there's right. a reason that women in Hollywood typically don't eat. There's a reason they don't eat carbs. There's a reason that they don't eat sweets. There's a reason they don't drink alcohol in many cases because it's too many calories. And she's like, that's how they get those body. And working right. out every day and twice a day will get you that body. I don't have that lifestyle. I don't want that. I, I just don't. And I don't judge people who do. But for me, that also doesn't mean that I'm going to be happy yeah, <laughs> with my for body. Sure. For sure. But yeah, it's a decision. It's a decision I get to make every day. Well, it's so awesome. And we're obviously, we're going to link to all of that. Um, Call me cat in the show notes. And I, I hope you. that people watch it because it's adorable and it's refreshing and you are hilarious. And to be able to find something truly 
sweet in this moment in history right yes. now, go watch it. Like that's it, the thing I said, we're, we're like a, a warm chocolate chip cookie that was like heated yeah. up in the microwave. Cause it was in the freezer <laughs> from like two months ago when you made the batch, but we're still a warm chocolate chip cookie. This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsors. Mother's Day is around the corner, which means your mom gets to be a little pampered and treated like the queen that she is. But what about the other 364 days? Give the gift that helps her live her Mother's Day dream year round. That's Tommy John's unbelievably dreamy loungewear. This Mother's Day, help the moms in your life kick back in comfort and lounge like queens with a gift of soft as cloud loungewear from Tommy John. Their loungewear is guaranteed to fit like a dream with comfy non-piling micro-modal fabric and four-way stretch. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatic. Over hundreds of thousands of fanatics, in fact, who have given them tens of thousands of five-star reviews that say Tommy John loungewear is buttery soft and they never want to take them off. It's the same level of comfort and innovation that's gone into everything Tommy John's made for the last 13 years. And because mom's already put up with enough BS, returns and exchanges are always free and she's always covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. I have a set of Tommy John's loungewear and it's unbelievably soft and super comfy. I love wearing them around the house, especially when I have a long day of work ahead. I'll even wear them outside when we go for a walk. And since they can pass for regular clothes, I don't have to worry about looking like I just got out of bed. Treat mom right, right now, get 20% off your first order at tommyjohn.com slash dreamjob. That's 20% off your first order of dreamy loungewear at tommyjohn.com slash dreamjob. tommyjohn.com slash dreamjob. See for details. Amazon Pharmacy makes it easy to order prescriptions and have them delivered straight to you. It's a simple process that saves you both time and hassle so you don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. Instead, just have your doctor's office send your next prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy and then it'll be delivered right to your door. Amazon Pharmacy works with most insurance plans nationwide. I'm one of those Amazon Prime users who's always ordering things to show up at my door and every time their delivery process is super speedy and efficient. I think it's really cool that Amazon Pharmacy is now streamlining the process of getting meds and prescriptions especially because we don't always have time to drop by the pharmacy and this saves me from having to make that extra trip. It's such an easy, convenient, and safe way of getting the prescriptions that are really essential for your health. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at amazon.com slash dreamjobrx. That's A-M-A-Z-O-N dot com slash dreamjobrx. I was going to ask you this because you, you've done a few kissing scenes I've seen on Call Me Cat and you definitely had those COVID, scenes in Blossom. COVID kissing is a whole other story. It's though. a whole thing. But I was going to ask you before and I wanted to call back to it. What was it like on Blossom to have a kissing scenes when you, and by the way, he was, there was a few, but so cute, your boyfriend. Yeah. Um, but was that even your first kiss? Like it may have been. Yeah, my, my, my first like proper kiss that wasn't like a truth or dare kiss yeah, I think it was literally on screen. I mean, Johnny Galecki was on Blossom. I think I was his second on screen kiss. We're the same age. Yeah, it was very weird. I mean, I didn't really have a proper boyfriend till really towards the end of Blossom. Like I wasn't dating. I like it, right. that wasn't happening. It wasn't like, you know, very few teenage boys were like, this girl's very interesting to me. Like no one was thinking that. The people were definitely thinking that. And then I remember going into the limited two when that was a thing yes. and trying to find the skirt that looked like the tie skirt that you wore. Yes, like, that was actually, that was my mother's idea. And that was handmade, the tie skirt. Yeah. Handmade, of course. I, know. I tried to it was find really it everywhere. Like old, it was just old ties. Um, no, but so kissing was weird. And I love when you read like interviews and articles with like, you know, fancy actors and they're like, <laughs> you're so in the moment, you know, it's like, you don't think about a sex scene. B 
S. I'm sorry. For the kind of person I am, like it is so intense to kiss a person that you're not in a relationship with. And also, I'm just like not the kind of person who, again, not judging people who did. I never like hooked up with people like, you know, in many circles that wasn't like happening really when I was in junior high and high school, at least where I was. I mean, I'm sure like people I know everyone I went to camp with is probably like we were all having sex, but like it wasn't my thing. I didn't even like getting massages, you know, like people would like line up and like everybody give each other a massage at camp on the day before we get back on the buses. No, I don't want that. So kissing people that I'm not like knowing and dating for the purpose of my job is weird. Also, it's a thing. You share germs when you kiss. So like we would have things where like I'd get it was David Lasher played Vinny. You know, like I'd get David yes. sick and then like David would get me sick. like that's the thing. And we also there were some long kissing scenes on Blossom. And yeah, I guess I learned to kiss on television. It's so weird. It's very creepy. And even as an adult, you know, I get asked this about kissing Jim Parsons. I'm like, well, he's married to a man, so it's not an issue. It's still an issue. I'm still a human. He's the human. Our lips are touching. It's an intimate part of you. (laughs) Anyway. And so now on Call Me Cat, Cheyenne Jackson, who also happens to be married to a man, but like, I literally am like, but Cheyenne, you really want to marry me, right? Like, let's be serious. Like, you're still kissing a human. Also, someone sure. that I care about very deeply. It's very weird. It's, it's weird. very, very weird. And then like, enter the Oscar character. And I'm like, now I got to kiss another person. <laughs> like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's so crazy. Um, but that was also some of the safety of like working with people that you trust, you know, which yeah. is something very important, which I acknowledge is a real privilege. And especially for actors, we often just have to work with whoever we're told to. Yeah. Um, but very, very grateful that both of those men, you know, we've had very respectful conversations about what we do outside of work in terms of COVID exposure. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's more confidence, but I'm not going to tell you, it just feels totally normal to kiss a person that you don't know. Yeah, no, but it is, um, it's just like kind of adorable to hear about what it was like for you in those scenes. Like as a oh, kid, yeah. we were no, all like, I'm like that as an adult. Like that no, you're a, like, no, that's there, yesterday. There was like a cat Oscar scene where we had to be like figuring out like in theory, kind of like the best position, like to be in the scene we're supposed to be kissing. And he's like, how about if I rub your legs? I'm like, rub my legs. <laughs> like, don't touch my legs. He's like, okay, I won't touch your legs. I'm like, <laughs> So since you called back to it and we skipped over it, tell us about being on the Big Bang Theory because people don't like the show. They love the show. Like it's like it's a part of their physical body. It That's how they speak of it. And you and that character. Yeah. Um, so what was that whole experience like for you? Um, well, when I auditioned for the Big Bang Theory, I had just started acting again. I had a nursing, you know, he was probably about one, but I had a he was exclusively breastfed. So literally when I left him to go audition for things, it was like, good luck. Mike. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I had a toddler and I had a nursing infant, you know, when I auditioned for the big bang theory, I had never seen it. I thought it was a game show because I heard that I was mentioned in season one. I was like, oh, because it must be like a game show of like, what star used to be, you know, a neuroscientist. (laughs) Anyway, never mind. I'm crazy. So I did not get the job because I'm a scientist. The character actually didn't even have a profession in the season finale of season three, which is when I came on the show as a guest star, possible recurring. And they said they wanted a female Jim Parsons. I had no idea who Jim Parsons was. The show was already very successful by then. I think he had just won like his second Golden Globe Award. So I Googled Jim Parsons playing Sheldon. I was like, oh, I know people like that. I think I'm like that. So I just like imitated him. 
and they got the job. And I didn't even know that it would turn into being a regular. I was a mom. I was teaching neuroscience for five years to, I designed a curriculum for junior high and high school students in our homeschool community. I was tutoring piano. Like I did a lot of things to make ends meet. You know, I didn't have money from Blossom. Like that wasn't a thing. People didn't make the money you think, especially teenage girls. And so I was budgeting. I was doing all the things that people do. And I was driving to Pacific Palisades when I was in grad school to like make 20 bucks an hour tutoring a kid Hebrew. Like I was, Oh my God. I was just like a a normal person. I mean, I was a normal person of privilege, you know, struggling in Los Angeles to pay rent and, and do all those things and have health insurance. And I was running out of health insurance is why I wanted to start auditioning for things again, because I just needed to try and work a couple guest spots so that I could, um, just try and get my insurance back. Wow. So I got the Big Bang Theory. They made me a regular in season four. And Fred was about 18 months then. I pumped for two years on set. Like I was a pumping working mom. Uh, I did obviously nurse a long time, but that's also totally my prerogative. You know, I lived as a, a working mom then in a situation where I was not planning on being the working mom. Like that wasn't what life was going to look like. But very grateful to my my now ex-husband, you know, for whether we were married or divorced, he was an at-home parent for our boys. Um, our kids have always been homeschooled. So he is both their teacher and their driver and their everything. And that's how our family works. We don't use nannies, never have. I clean my own toilets. Like that's what our life is like. So during all those years of Big Bang Theory, you know, I was going through that. I went through a divorce. My father died, which is very, very significant in my life. That was six years ago. So yeah, that was big bang theory. And like nine years later, I woke up and it was over and here we are. Like literally it felt as miraculous as beaches. It felt as miraculous as blossom. It's very strange to me that I've been on, you know, two sitcoms now three. I can't explain it. It's very strange. (laughs) It's really like hard to even hold all of those things at one time. Like so many things, mom, nursing, and homeschooling the kids. And the fact that like, now you're a star again on a hit show, and then there's a divorce. And then I know how close you've been with your dad. You always were like at basketball games with your dad, always talking about your dad and to go through all of that while still making people laugh while still going to the Emmys, all of that. Yeah. And actually that's something, you know, when people are like, what's your favorite moment from Big Bang Theory? You know, and it's like, it's what no one saw. It's what it was like to go through all of our life events that nobody gets to know about. And some of the things we went through became public, you know, Kaylee in particular, like we were her sister, we were her support and she was mine and everybody was each other's support for everything that we all went through in those years. And those are the things that nobody knows about, like what we all went through. We had lives and I actually had Kunal um, who played Raj on my podcast and like to hear the things that he was going through, like things that I didn't even realize. And I literally was like two doors down from him, you know, for nine years. And I don't mean to be like celebrities have a hard time too. But what I mean is like everyone's living their human experience. And then we're put into whatever situation we're living our human experience in. And sure, you know, having money and being a celebrity, we have access to different resources and different help. You know, I'm grateful that when I need therapy, which is always, um, you know, I can afford that. I have access to that, but we're still all just humans. I promise. Yeah. 
And I recently saw you on Drew Barrymore show and she was just thanking oh you. My for gosh. This that was beautiful. That was so, she was so emotional. She was so emotional. And she's like, my son was on the corner kicking me. And kicking I was her had, the shins. <laughs> I had this moment and then I talked, it was listening to you. And I thought to myself, gosh, I've never seen this before. Like, look at my, again, like breaking that fourth wall, like making it safe for people she who cried. Need- Drew Barrymore yeah, cried. She cried at me and I received it. Yeah, she cried at you. She definitely cried at you. And so let's talk about this podcast because I have heard that when people listen to podcasts, they're more likely to now add another one. So you guys should all be listening to my Bialik's Breakdown. It's incredible. I try to listen to every single one and watch them actually because you have the video version as well. We now have episodes with my mom. They're called Bevisodes. They're terrifying. We just, we dropped the first one just yesterday. Oh, prepare yourself. Oh my God, this is a has to be done moment. <gasps> oh, um, Bev, Bev. So let's talk about this because I, like I said, I've never seen this done. This amount of people talk about authenticity, but it's faux authentic, right? <laughs> it's like, very authentic. This is the most real conversation over and over again that I've ever been witness to. It's- it has evolved. Honestly, it's evolved even from the first day that Jonathan and I sat down. So Jonathan Cohen and I, we are partners in many ways, including the romantic way. We're writing partners also <laughs> and like truly business and life partners, you know, no matter what happens to us, we've really like we've met our match in each other. And so during the early days of like pandemic and quarantine, we were like hearing from everyone that their mental health was just like taking yeah. a hit after hit. And people who even like I mean, God love those people who don't know what anxiety is, meaning they Mm. were like, why am I all of a sudden not what's happening? Why am I waking up feeling like there's a gun to my head? And like, I can't eat. And like, I have diarrhea. And it's like, oh, you have anxiety and you didn't know it, you know? But so many people were like, what's happening to me? And even my kids, you know, I have a 12 and a 15 year old and they were like, why even change clothing? And I was like, oh, okay, got it. Um, And then for people like me, who've basically were born with mental health challenges, of course, things got worse. You know, whenever I'm interviewed, especially by like a celebrity outlet, they're like, how are you doing in the pandemic? I'm like, really (laughs) bad. Like I'm a mess. You know, I've gained 86 pounds in a month. You know, I'm eating all of my feelings and yours as well. That's how I'm doing. So we started this podcast to talk about mental health. Obviously I'm a neuroscientist and I'm trained in in neuropsychology and I worked in neuropsychiatry. I studied obsessive compulsive disorder as the topic of my thesis. And like, I'm in it. I am in the mental health world. It's on both sides of my family, like name a diagnosis. I promise you we've got it. Recently, a friend of mine who I know very well said, I didn't realize how hard you must work to seem okay. Given all of your diagnoses, (laughs) like I'm a very, you know, I don't want to say I'm an overpathologized person, but I've been in therapy since I'm 17. I have been rigorously honest, if nothing else, with yeah. my therapist. And what that means is you meet the criteria for a lot of things. We're all on a spectrum, some more than others. So this podcast is breaking down kind of definitions about mental health. A lot of people don't even know the difference between a panic attack and anxiety attack. So we talk about things like that. We talk to people who are experts in the field or experts in their own mental health struggle, meaning they're just humans. And yes, many of them are famous. And almost every episode, people say, I've never told anyone this, Maya, but I'm going to tell you. And I'm like, okay, like lay it on me. And meanwhile, every episode essentially feels like group therapy between me and Jonathan and our guest. Jonathan is opening up more and more. 
and you know he's a Canadian, so they they tend to be just <laughs> yeah. very polite and nice, and everything's great um, with their cute little accents. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely getting a lot more you know personal for him as well. And it's been unbelievable, but it is very emotional. And uh, I don't mean that it's like, listen to my ambialic cry. I do. I well up a lot because I'm an HSP, highly sensitive person. Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> okay. There's a few more things we're going to cover, but first we're just going to thank our sponsor. In the newest edition of Wondery's Business Movers, The Rise of Uber, host Lindsey Graham takes you through the origin story of the now infamous ride-sharing app. In just a few short years after Uber's inception, former CEO Travis Kalanick turned the small, scrappy startup into the most popular ride-sharing platform in the world, which also paved the way for other peer-to-peer service apps. Along the way, Uber went to war with local politicians, labor unions, and competitors. They stopped at nothing to make sure they cemented their legacy in the transportation industry. And as it expanded across the globe, Uber faced tremendous backlash and a share of scandals. I've been listening to this series and I know if you're a fan of Don't Keep Your Day Job, then you're going to love Business Movers. It's a compelling story that dives into the obstacles that Uber had to deal with while it was growing. And it really shows that not every success story happens in a linear path. So not only will you be entertained, but I think it'll encourage you to keep marching ahead in your own journey, even when you're hitting those roadblocks. So listen to the newest season of Business Movers, Rise of Uber on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. I recently read a book that changed my life, Janine Roth's book, Women, Food, and God. Oh, yes, I've read it. I've recommended it to so many people. And I highlighted the entire thing almost. And um, basically my takeaway from it, which is what I think you're doing with your podcast, is where she's basically saying that the medicine for the pain is the pain. Like, it makes space to feel whatever that is. Like, it's not the feeling, it's the story we create around the feeling that's yep. totally suffocating us. And that Can is you, true, for, it's yeah. true for money, it's true for food, it's true for sex, it's true for just about everything. But those are the, for me, those are the big three. And I don't just mean sex, I mean intimacy. Yeah, if you want to find out why you're using, stop using. So if your drug of choice is shopping, stop shopping and see what happens. If your drug of choice is food, either shoving it down or getting it out, stop doing that and see what happens. If your drug is is men or women, you know, if your drug is relationships or intrigue or like texting and seeing if you can get a rise out of someone, stop doing that and see what happens. Smoking, weed, whatever it is. I mean, this has literally been like my thesis, even religion, you know, meaning if you're a fundamentalist, if you know, take it away and see what feelings happen. Yeah. Hint, they don't feel good. That's why you were using. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, for me, it's work. Like I'm such an, like, Oh, doer, one of so my addictive. favorites emotions can't yeah. hit a moving target. I just keep moving, keep working, keep doing, you know, yes. If you stop doing that, see what comes chances are you'll try and fill it with something else. Hence the COVID-19 that many people put on. (laughs) And this is why during COVID, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, anticipatory anxiety, it's very terrifying. Yeah. Imagine being a child, you know, it's hard as an adult. But I wanted to ask you about, because I just spent a week at a Joe Dispenza um, retreat. And so you go to this retreat and he's basically like, you're with a thousand people on the beach. Oh, that's already problematic for me. It's a lot. It's a lot. And you're meditating eight hours a day and he's teaching you about neuroscience and how we can, if we think a new thought, we'll feel a new feeling, right? 
But I'm wondering, as good as that feels to learn how the brain works, it's like, but the skipping over of the stuff that's still there, like what, what about that? So everyone's into like positive psychology and like, you know, there's a neuroplasticity and I'm like, right. And you're still skipping over yourself. Well, And look, and, and the fact is certain, like something, and I can say this as a scientist, some things will work for some people and not for others. There's not one solution. If there was, I'm certain like Eastern medicine would have figured it out before anything went. Western yeah. anyway. So there's not one thing. There are general guiding principles. I think that we all can learn from and learning to breathe properly, meaning breathing. So you feel it in your shoulders and not just your stomach. Like right. that's a game changer in terms of like oxygen, literally. So like, yes, meditation, meaning shutting everything out yeah. and saying, I'm a human being, <clears throat> not a human doing, doing that 20 minutes a day. We know works like it works wonders. I happen to be a proponent of classical psychotherapy. And I believe everyone could benefit even from six weeks of it. Like I do believe in digging deep. I just do. A lot of people can do a cognitive behavioral therapy thing, which is kind of more what you're talking about, like replace a negative thought with a positive one. And it does, it changes the chemistry in your brain. It creates new grooves. Like that stuff is also good. But for me, I have to do the kind of work of like, what's the scaffolding that I was raised in? Yeah. What did my grandparents bring to my parents that they then brought to me that I think I'm going to bring to these kids if we don't do an intervention? Right. And it's true. Like there were times when my anger, my rage, my impatience was not healthy for my children. And I'll be honest, the solution was not going on more weekends with the girlfriends because a lot of people were like, you just need to get out more. You know, you need to like relax. I was like, no, I don't want to go out. I want to be in my home and not scream at my children. Can we work on that? (laughs) Yeah. How much of that do you think is epigenetics and how much of that do you think is just like trauma that gets passed down in behavior? I mean, honestly, we we now know that trauma is also kind of floating around your genetics in other yeah. ways as well. You know, this intergenerational trauma, there's been some incredible research out of Israel um, about Holocaust survivors and and their relatives and what they pass on. There's a lot, you know, I was definitely born into a template that struggles, meaning my genetic template, it struggles and chemistry doesn't always work the way I think it should in my brain and in my body. I get hit hard by a lot of things. I get hit hard on the good side of emotions and on the bad side of emotions. I don't mean good and bad, but you know what I mean? Like the positives yeah. and the less positives. I feel them very deeply. And a lot of that is it's, it's my genetics, but it's also the coping mechanisms that, that I've learned by watching my mom, my dad, the yeah. dynamics in my family, like it all adds up. And I think, you know, barring fascinating studies where people have been separated at birth or, you know, the triplets that they made that amazing documentary about. Sure, environment is going to play a a tremendous role. We can't deny that. But, you know, we also get to add that third component, which is the environment we choose then to immerse ourselves in, you know, and that's sort of and you can undo things like, yes, fundamentally, people don't change. But also, if people are willing to put the work in. And we all know what that means. It means when you don't want to go to therapy, you go anyway. Yeah. And you say to your therapist, I don't want to be here. Chances are there's a reason. Yeah. It's not just that you have better things to do. So to me, that's the component that in my life has actually caused change for the positive. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've had friends tell me that I'm easier to get close to now. And here I was thinking like, 
everybody can get close to me, you know, but right. it turns out if work is your drug, which it is one of mine, you can put up a lot of barriers yep. that feel like, I'm so sorry. I'm just so busy. It's such a crazy week. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, my mother-in-law just passed away um, just a few weeks ago. And my husband said to the rabbi, oh, but because it's COVID, can I skip Shiva? Because he he, he hates talking about his sadness. And his dad died in 1987. So since 1987, he's been worried that his mom would die. And then she did. So the rabbi said, don't skip it. Do it on Zoom and do it as much as you can. And we did. And it was so important that he rolled out the welcome mat and was like, this is those tears that are really intense. And he said, I didn't even do this for my dad. Like we skipped over it with like, look at the butterflies, you know, which didn't actually serve him. And so we just witnessed that as a couple and as a family, and it did more to strengthen our relationship. And it did more for my kids than so much of what we've been doing Sure. And for so long. And also, you know, shout out to traditional, you know, good old fashioned, in our case, Judaism. Right. You know, Judaism is known for getting a lot of things wrong, but we really do get death and grieving right. We're good at death. I know. <laughs> well, we're, we're very good at suffering also. But, the, but, suffering, no, but, but that process is gorgeous. But yeah, and, and we actually, we did an episode on my podcast where we talked about this with, with a rabbi because the notion of you cannot run from this. Yeah. Exactly when it's the most painful, i.e. the body just became the vessel. And now you have to be with 10 other people three times a day if you can. It's like, what? I don't want to see anyone. Exactly. Go see people. And, you know, I said cottage for my father for a year. And every day I managed to find these 10 people, you know, who would hold space for me. And every year, actually, today's the anniversary of my father's death. Oh, um, my gosh. So, yeah, we we find that space to say, I'm still in pain. Like, this doesn't go away. And other people have to witness it. And that's why also people are like, the internet is so great. I have so many friends. I love my Facebook. And, like, totally. <laughs> I totally, totally get it. But brains have not evolved just because technology did. Right. You still have a brain that is wired mm-hmm. to be in the forests, in the jungles, coming out of the water, and just, like, Hold in your baby because something's going to eat it. Like, yep. that's, like we're in that state of nature, I promise. Like yep. we are wired for human interaction. And you we said are. something, you've said this before, but I heard you say it recently when you had AJ, Alex McLean on your podcast uh-huh. and you just said it really fast, but I've heard you say this idea before. You were like, yeah, you had a God-sized hole you're trying yeah. to fill. I want you to talk about what that means to you. Yeah, that's a 12-step reference to what we're trying to fix in each of us. And it's going to be something different for everyone, but the whole, you know, either in your soul, in your metaphysical soul, however you want to think about it, we can fill it with things. You can fill it with sex. You can fill it with alcohol. You can fill it with drugs. You can fill it with work, shopping. Yeah, those are kind of the biggies, but what kind of a program mentality, which is a spiritual, you know, kind of program mentality is that that whole is shaped like whatever you think, God is. And that could be nature. It could be the kind of collective consciousness of your friends or your family, but that's what that hole is shaped like. And you have to try and find things or we have, that's our responsibility as humans is to find the thing that can fill that meaning. And yeah, it is, it's just kind of sounds cheesy, but it is, it's learning to love yourself the way 
the creator of the universe might love you or the way your partner, you know, your ideal partner would love you the way your friends love you. You know, I once heard someone say, if people could hear the things that I say to myself, right. They would think I was in an abusive relationship (laughs) with myself. And I heard someone say that she was like, I would never speak to another human the way I talk to myself in my head. It's like, it's like the worst things. Like what if we replace that, you know, with the way something greater than us, you know, would see us. And that's what that is. And to me, it doesn't matter if you're um, a diagnosed alcoholic or if you're an ad, a video game addict or whatever it is, we're all looking to not feel those feelings that we feel when we stop doing the thing that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because for the first like year and a half of the show, I never mentioned God. I was afraid that people wouldn't like me or or they would judge me or think of God as something that I didn't think God was. And so I never talked about it. And then I had David Sachs on the show who you're probably friends with, Yeah, um, who's a good friend of mine and people loved the episode. And so I was amazed by that actually, because mm-hmm. um, he doesn't water down what he's really no, saying. But he's also super eloquent and super intelligent and kind and, uh, and lovely yeah. and, and yeah. all the things. And so I sent an email to my audience asking like, what was it about that, that you loved so much? I was nervous to share him or that with you, those ideas. And people said, I don't think of myself as being needed in this world. Mm. And this idea that I have a connection with something bigger and that that something bigger wants me to succeed at helping repair the world is everything I needed to hear. And I'm like, yes, good. Right. So I want to ask you about that because my audience struggles with feeling the imposter syndrome and feeling like they're enough and feeling like, why would I bother starting a podcast or writing a book or making my own show when like Mayim's done it. And so have all these other people who are better than me. And I think at the core of the sadness that I hear in my audience and in people in general is not feeling a connection to something bigger that needs them mm-hmm. in any way. And so I'm just curious what you think about that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the more religious concepts, which can be very hard for people to grasp. And I think for people who do follow more of a traditional path of religious life, it's also one of those things that can sound like, oh, well, that's perfect if you believe in God, but I don't believe in God. So like, no thanks. Right. But the notion is like, can we get to a place as a society where we're not so hung up on this kind of like image of God or what we think that you know, our grandparents want us to do or our parents or what the man wants us to do. Cause there's a lot, obviously a lot of patriarchy in religion because religion's an extension of just existence. And yeah, when you think about the thousands of years ago, it's not that people were like, women can't be rabbis. It's like, they're having so many babies cause there's no birth control. When would they even go to school or learn to read? Like <laughs> it wasn't like a personal thing that Judaism or Christianity or any religion was like women must, it was just inherent in all culture that women were never expected to be able to achieve things because we didn't even give them the space to. So the notion for me is like, what is that thing that I can't create? That's a feeling, that's an inspiration, that's something divine that can drive what I do. And for a lot of people, that notion of like being needed also extends to like, well, that means God's watching everything I do and I don't want to be judged, you know? And that's also, that's an evolution that we get to come to now 
past the traditional Judeo-Christian thinking that so many of us were indoctrinated with, you know, um, guess what? Not being sure about God doesn't eliminate you from the human race. It doesn't take away our responsibility to love each other and to have respect for each other and to look at people who need help and help them yeah. or to say, what if I don't keep all my money for myself? <laughs> What if I share it with people? And, and obviously that's also from a, a real specific position. I'm not saying like that everyone should give away their money. Right. But the notion that even when I didn't, when we didn't have money as a kid, I was still taught it's my responsibility to repair the world and I can still show up for other people. And for me, that best happens when I stay close to a program of ritual. It just does. And that may not be true for everybody, but it's rare that I meet hardcore atheists or even agnostics who are like, let's organize a sandwich drive. And I'm sure they exist. But for me, I need the structure of something that's been working for thousands of years as the structure from which I build it. And I've met many lovely atheists who do make sandwiches for people. And, you know, I'm not <laughs> saying that they don't, but I'm saying that that structure already exists in the tradition that I come from. And so that's comfortable for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful. This idea that like, we can all get on board that we need to take care of each other, period. Yeah. Like that. And if you believe the sun's going to come up tomorrow, then we have the exact same faith. You just call it something different than I do. You know, yeah. when I see the sun come up, it's like, that's a miracle. Thank you. Power greater than me. And other people might just be like, oh, cool. The sun came up. Other people might just be like, time to get up. F this day. Also fine, but that's all, to me, that's all the same. Yep. All of it is so good and nourishing and helpful and you're funny and adorable. Thank and it you. was so fun to hear everything that you have to say. I could literally, I do, I watch everything you do. And so thank you. Well, it's I really, it's so lovely to meet you. And, you know, I'm asked a lot of these questions, but you have a very warm and loving perspective. And I appreciate that, not just because you like me, um, but I also just- <laughs> She really no, does. She does, she likes me. Um, no, but I think also like to hold this audience with you, you know, and get Thank to- Thank you, um, so nice. You know, get to share more about myself on my post-migraine day. I do really appreciate. Oh, Maya, it's just like <laughs> you to say that about me at the end of this. <laughs> Um, so everybody's going to go listen to your show and watch your other show and tell everybody where they can find the podcast and yes. all the other things. Um, our podcast is my Bialik's breakdown. It's on Spotify or anywhere that you get podcasts. You can also watch us on my YouTube channel. We just hit a million subscribers, which is very exciting. And, um, my podcast co-pilot and I wear coordinated outfits every episode. Oh so it is God. kind of fun to sometimes watch. We're sort of ridiculous. Um, bialikbreakdown.com is our website and you can also ask my anything there and submit questions. And we answer those on the air, which is really fun. So yeah. There it's it is. horrible and delightful and a pleasure. What thank else can we so say? Thank you so much. Thank you. I am. Thank you. How awesome is she? I just can't believe that I got to chat with her. It's just, uh, I was in tears. I was literally in tears at the beginning of that interview and, and afterwards. And then I watched Beaches. I hadn't seen it in so long. And I watched Beaches with my daughter, Gabby. And if you haven't seen it in a while, go watch that movie. Not only is it just God, it's so good. Gary Marshall directed it, Bette Midler, Barbara Hershey, but 
I mean it when I say Mayim makes that movie. Like she is the shiny gold star of that movie. Go watch it again. It's it's so good. All right. Well, here are the takeaways from today. Number one, just do the best you can today. Number two, we don't always know what's really going on behind the scenes. Everyone is living their own human experience. Number three, you can change your narrative if you're willing to put the work in. Number four, hold space for your pain. You can't run away from it. Number five, it's our responsibility to find the God-sized hole, to learn to love yourself the way the creator of the universe loves you. Number six, we're all part of the human race. We all have the responsibility to love each other and repair the world. And number seven, if you believe the sun is going to come up tomorrow, then we have the same faith. We might just call it by a different name. Okay. Now I'm going to celebrate today's giveaway winner. I'm doing giveaways every Monday and Thursday. So if you want to be entered to win some awesome swag, we've got cute hoodies, we've got mugs. All you have to do is either A, leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Go on to your Instagram stories and you can just talk, talk about the show. Just go on live and be like, Hey guys, I love Kathy Heller's podcast and tag me at kathy.heller and let people know about it because then you'll be entered to win the giveaway. Not to mention I will repost if you share about it because it means so much to me. All right. Today's winner is Ann Sibley and she wrote, Heaven sent. Kathy, you continue to blow me away and give me the daily inspiration that I need to keep listening to my dreams. For this, I will be eternally thankful. And thank you. That's so nice. That means so much to me. That's why I'm doing this. So I'm so glad that what I am putting out there is being received. And I want to thank you guys for listening. Seriously, thank you. I know. I know you have a million things going on and I know what it means that you keep showing up and listening to the show. So thank you for spending your time here. If you want more of these awesome episodes, then go ahead and subscribe right now. Click subscribe. It is free to subscribe. And I'm curious if today's episode, if you can think of someone who would like to hear it. Do you know someone who loves Mayim Bialik, who loves the Big Bang Theory, who loved Blossom, who who would appreciate this real candid conversation about what it was like for her growing up and some of the conversations we had about feeling our feelings and all of that? If you can think of someone who would like this, then send them the link, text them the link. You can post about it on your Instagram. And if you do post about it, tag me at kathy.heller, Kathy's with a C, because I will repost it. But also I want Mayim to know how much you appreciated this episode. So tag her. She's at Miss Mayim, M-I-S-S. M-A-Y-I-M. I know she'll be excited to see how many of you resonated with this interview. So definitely post about it so that she hears this audience loud and strong, letting her know that you enjoyed it. I love you guys so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine. And because I'm now doing daily episodes, I'll talk to you again tomorrow. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. 